0: All three of those are identified in Scripture with the word heart. So We've been talking to you about our heart. This part of Scripture identifies something very specific about the heart. It is deceitful. As I clicked on that word, the definition that I found was it is crooked and perverse the natural man the heart that we have received by nature is perverse and crooked i went to the new testament and found in philippians 2:15 statement made concerning the church that we are to be blameless harmless sons of god without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I found them to be the same word. In the Greek language, the word is skolios. We've taken uh, opportunity to identify some of the words we've we've examined before when we talked about a hardened heart. Take heed lest your heart be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin or the deceitfulness of riches, a hard heart. And that word was uh, sclerosis. The word that has been lifted from the Greek language to identify, in medical terms, what we have come become very familiar with—identifying physical problems that happen to our heart. Here's another one, and I'm sure you recognize uh, this word today: uh, scoliosis. It is to mean bent or crooked. And so I found often that word used, and it's an old. English word. It looks like forward, but it's froward. It's spelled F-R-O-W-A-R-D. Froward. A froward heart in Scripture is a distorted or a crooked heart. A number of statements that are made, Proverbs 17:20 says, He that hath a froward heart findeth no good. He that hath a perverse tongue falleth into mischief. Uh... Psalm 18, 26, With the pure, thou shalt show thyself pure. That's speaking about God. But with the froward or distorted, he will show himself also to be froward. 2 Samuel 22, 27, With the pure, thou shalt show thyself pure. And that psalm taken right from that statement made by Samuel to Saul. Deuteronomy twenty after he had preached this sermon they cried out men and brethren what should we do? he said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost as many as believed were baptized and with many more words Peter spoke to them saying you need to spare yourself or remove yourself from this untoward generation scolios from this twisted distorted, bent generation. Save yourself. Even 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit was addressing that society that was twisted and perverted and distorted away from the Word of God and the will of God. He said you need to remove yourself or save yourself from this untoward generation. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That word as I... uh, looked for definition, says hopelessly or fatally diseased. So we are grateful today for Calvary and for the antidote for what appears to be in the natural hopelessness or a fatal disease. The wages of sin is death. But I'm so glad there is in jesus christ a gospel that addresses hopelessness and the fatal disease of sin that totally reverses that by giving us a heart transplant by giving us a new heart and a new spirit and any man in christ jesus becomes a new creation where all things are passed away and behold all things become new and he takes that Perverted, distorted heart, and gives us a new, brand new heart after His own making. This uh, part of us, I believe, in the natural helps us to see what God says to us, inasmuch as we are constantly being reminded of heart condition, heart disease, and how we might prevent. Heart disease. Let's take a moment and identify some of them. See if you've been listening to what the medical profession and, and those interested are saying. What are some things you can do to prevent heart disease? Exercise, regular exercise. Don't, don't smoke. This is a high-risk factor if you, if you smoke. That adds to the, the possibility of heart disease. Nutrition, don't eat what? Don't eat high-fat, concentrated foods. What else? Candy, who said candy? Got to be some heresy here somewhere. (laughs) Anxiety, stress, cope with stress factors. These are preventative measures that uh, they are constantly telling us that you need to, to be aware of some things, avoid some things, and do some things to cut down the risks that you might have in order to contract some physical, natural heart problems. The Bible is also filled with preventative information that says to us, these things I have written unto you that you sin not. The Bible has a great deal to say about some things that we are to avoid. There are, there are warnings and, and we are going to encounter heart disease spiritually to push past those, those signs that are flashing danger at us. It's foolish for us to just sit down to high fat and, and to smoke and, and to just be a couch potato and ignore all of the messages that are being sent to us and then, and then be shocked whenever we are stricken with arteries that are closed or clogged and we cannot uh, continue living because we have disregarded those messages of danger that our, our problem might have been postponed or eliminated had we listened to the warnings that have been given to us. The Word of God is filled with preventative instruction not just reactive so that when we have messed up there's a place to come to find healing and cleansing there's more to the bible than just redemption and restoration there is prevention there is a proactive message that comes from the word of god that says stay away from touch not the unclean thing and and i will receive you he's saying you need to be careful not to associate with a gossip because you're going to become a gossip he says Don't spend time with a hot-headed person and an angry man because you're going to pick up on his spirit. You'll become an angry man. The Bible said there are some things we are to avoid because they will affect our heart. They will affect our spirit. It will become diseased. So we look at the Word of God and find some very clear, preventative messages that, that come directly and straight from the heart of the Lord. He wants us to live healthy, whole lives. I was reading the other day and found this story. I think it kind of says to us in picture form what uh, the Holy Spirit would have us to hear today. It has to do with an experience of a motorcycle policeman, Los Angeles, he was making his morning trip through a particular neighborhood and observed a man driving a pickup truck speeding through an intersection without any regard for the, the stop sign or for the, for the light. And the uh, officer thinking to himself, this man's late for work. And so he pursued him, pulled him over, The man in the truck was thinking, well, the cops already know. He had stopped at the local 7-Eleven and had robbed the cashier, had on the seat the bag full of money and a gun. And in his mind, this cop knew already. And so as the policeman walking up to the door of that truck said to him, good morning, sir, may I see your... And at that moment, the man in the truck panicked and took the gun, out the window and point-blank range shot that policeman in the chest. And he fell six feet away, sprawled on the ground. Everything was quiet for a moment. And then the policeman shook himself and stood up. The man in the truck thought, this has got to be Clark Kent. I can't believe this is happening with a, a hit him right square in the chest. And he pulled his service revolver shot once toward the truck and the man said don't shoot threw the gun and the money out of the truck and surrendered himself to the policeman to realize that this man was wearing a Kevlar vest only three-eighths of an inch thick but very strong enough to stop that bullet and he had protected himself he would have been killed had it not been that he had protected the vital organ of his heart and he was able to survive the attack that came upon him. You know the Bible has a breastplate of righteousness. He said we are to take unto ourselves the whole armor of God and we are to, to put on our, our heart and cover our heart with, a, with something much stronger, much more stable than Kevlar. It is a, the righteousness of Jesus Christ that can prevent us from the unrighteousness of this world. The story doesn't end there. The other side of the, of the illustration tells of another day. Another day when this policeman, he and his, his uh, partner was investigating a domestic struggle and as they got to the door, announced themselves and instead of surrendering, four slugs went through that front door. One of the four found its mark right in the middle, almost the identical spot where it had been hit Before. This time the man immediately slumped to the floor and his partner heard him barely say, I'm hit, I'm hit. The coroner said he lasted less than a minute. He left a wife, three children, and a Kevlar vest 30 feet away in the trunk of his car. He had not protected, he had the protection available, but this time did not avail himself of the protection that had been provided for him. And we need to appreciate the fact this morning, and the the article finishes this way, every police officer in Los Angeles believes in bulletproof vests. They work. I doubt you'll find a policeman anywhere who doesn't believe that vests saves lives, but that's not enough. An officer must do more than believe in vests. He must take his belief to the point of personal commitment. He must wear it. He must be willing to wear that at all times, even when it's hot, when it's inconvenient, and when it's uncomfortable. He needs to protect himself. It's no good to him in his trunk. I believe that kind of illustrates what the Lord would say to us this morning. There is available to us some preventative measures that will keep us from becoming a spiritual statistic, we do not have to die of spiritual heart failure and heart condition because God has made everything necessary available to us to have a healthy heart. And we are to guard our heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. The verse that I read to you in Philippians 215, that you may be blameless, harmless, sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a scolios, perverted, distorted nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. There's three words there that are pretty strong, blameless, harmless, and without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. It's very hard to live among disease and not get sick. It's very hard to work among, uh, around dirt and not get filthy. It's very hard to live in a world that's filled with sin and not become sinful. He said in the midst of. He didn't call us to seclusion. He didn't call us to, to escape this world, but to live right in the midst of this world. And yet, in the world, not of the world, there is, there is a protective covering that God gives to us. There is sufficiency to enable us to be protected against what would become dangerous to us. And I know with, with HIV, if you're living and working in the medical field, you know there's constant, there's constant vigilance that you've got to have. I've walked into the hospital, they're constantly putting on rubber gloves so that, so that bodily fluids are not transmitted. And some people even left the field and say, I can't live, I can't work in the midst of all of this threat, this disease that they have no cure for. And I know that they, they realize that a rubber glove is no protection against the needle prick. That goes right through, and they there's a constant daily. They live in the midst. They work in the midst, and it's the same for us. Wherever we are, wherever we're living and working, we're living in the midst, and we need, need to live as sons of God. There's a whole sermon there. Live as sons of God in the midst, different than sons of men. And everybody said, It's different to live as a son of God than it is to live as a son of man. There's a difference because we've received a divine nature among whom you shine as lights in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. It's hard to live in a crooked crooked society and not become crooked. Very difficult to live among disease and stay healthy. We need God every day. We need to put our vest on every morning. We need to be prepared every moment of every day so that we are equipped and ready for whatever adversary has for us to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? That says to me volumes today. I, I, I can't know your heart. I have no way of knowing your heart. You have no way of knowing my heart. Matter of fact, I don't even know my own heart. Who can know it? You don't know your heart. Peter thought he knew his heart. Peter said, not me, Lord. Though everybody forsake you, I'll never forsake you. I'll go to the cross. I'll die with you. Jesus said, you don't know, you don't know what's inside you, Peter. Before tomorrow morning, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Peter thought he knew his heart, but he didn't. You think you know your heart. You don't know your heart. You don't know what's inside your heart, but the Lord knows. I, the Lord, know. That says to me this morning, there is an exclusivity about the one who can know the hearts of men. By the Lord, there is no possible way that that we even physically could diagnose ourselves this morning in the absence of any of any symptoms. Can you guarantee, because you don't have your arm hurting and shortness of breath, that you have no heart problems today? Can you guarantee me, sitting in this service this morning, that, that there is not some heart disease present in your life, even though you've got up this morning and you feel fine and as far as you know the only thing i i can do is feel for a pulse and if it's beating i know i'm at least alive that's as far as i can go in the absence of even a stethoscope i don't have that i can't even listen to to the rhythm of my heart i i don't know what's clogged or closed inside there there have been people that have gone to the doctor for a checkup and they've done some of their technical uh, experiments and they said, did you know that at some point in your life you've had a slight heart attack? There's scar tissue on your heart. And they, had, they were totally oblivious. They had no, no idea that these kinds of things were going on. Well, I had feeling like indigestion at a time or two. I thought it was the burrito that I ate. You don't know. You, ju- you don't know your heart. You do not know what's going on physically. And until perhaps someone with the ability to take a little wire with a camera and insert it into, into an artery and look inside to see, they'll say, oh yeah, looky there, look at that. That's, that's got a problem. That's closing up. That's all together closed. There's some, there's some damage. There's some scar tissue there. We're going to need to do something about this. You see, no one, you don't know the heart of the person next to you. They don't know your heart. You don't even know your own heart. I, the Lord. Isn't that something? I, the Lord. And there is only one, really, in this room this morning, but you can be sure... He makes that statement, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. It identifies exclusive authority and exclusive ability to see and to know our heart. Turn to Psalm 139. This is a wonderful psalm. It really is a song in four stanzas. There are four verses to this song. Each stanza is six verses long. The first six verses, David is speaking to us about the omniscience of God, or the ability of God to know everything. The next six verses, from 7 to 12, talks about the omnipresence of God, or the fact that God is everywhere. The last six verses from 12 to 18 or the middle are about the omnipotence of God, his power, all power resident in the Lord. And the last six verses is a prayer that David makes in response to all this information that has been revealed to him about his creator God. And as we examine these verses briefly today, Just think about the fact this God we worship this morning in this service is omniscient. And as you follow with me, I'm reading from the King James, O Lord, thou hast searched me. I, the Lord, search the heart and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou art compassed my path, my lying down. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word in my tongue, but lo, Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me before and behind and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. If you want to make some notes, David first is speaking about the fact that God knows his character. He said, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Completely. Then in verse 2, he knows his contemplation. He said, you know my down-sitting and my uprising. You know my thoughts afar off. You know my contemplation. You know my character. Verse 3, you know my conduct. He says, thou compassest my path, my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Lord, you know my conduct. You are acquainted with all my ways and my conversation. In verse 4, he says, For thou, there is not a word in my tongue, but, lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Now, in every one of these cases, I think you can view them one of two ways. You can view that statement about the omniscience of God as a threat or as a thrill. You can see it as something you dread or something that you delighted. You can see it as something that is a concern to you or something that is a comfort to you. Depending on your relationship or or your connection with the Lord, the knowledge of God is either something that disturbs you or something that delights you. I tell you what, when you are rightly related to God, there are some things about your life the things you do and the things you think and the things you say that nobody else sees or knows, and I'm awfully glad the Lord knows. I delight in the fact that that there's an omniscient God that nothing escapes his view, nothing escapes his knowledge, and whether anyone else knows about it or not, I'm glad he knows about it and that's enough. Or if my ways, my thoughts, my words, my deeds are contrary to the word of God, then these verses would disturb me a bit. So the omniscience of God will have one effect or the other upon you, maybe both, a little mixed bag of both for all of us. Because none of us are perfect in all of these ways. I know I'm not. And I have a suspicion about this crowd too. But the Lord knows, and it really helps me a great deal. The Lord knows. Second stanza about the omnipresence of God, and he uses some extremes. First, height, then depth, then direction, and then darkness. He said, I want to, to examine the fact as far as God is concerned, the God who searches my life and knows my life. Whither shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I went to heaven, you're there. That's the height. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell into the uttermost part of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Oh, it doesn't matter where I go on this planet, he's there. If I'm 30,000 feet in the air, he's there. If I'm on the parkway west, he's there. Amen? No matter where I am, he's there. The omnipresence of God is beside me, and his hand will be able to lead me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me, even the night shall be light about me, Yea, the darkness and the light are the same to thee. But the night shineth as the day, and the darkness is as the light, both light to thee. Thou hast possessed my reign. We'll stop there. Because that's the omnipresence of God. The Lord is there. Oh, in the night season, aren't you glad? When it's darkest, the Lord is there. Oh, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. And we can view that as men loving darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil and be a threat With the presence of God, or we can say, oh God, I'm so glad no matter how dark it gets you see me in the midst of the darkness, your eye sees me just as clearly then as when the sun's shining bright outside. Hallelujah. I'm glad for the omnipresence of God, aren't you? That he's always there. The, The third stanza talks about the omnipotence of God. And he From verse 13, thou hast possessed my reins, has covered me in my mother's womb. And this whole thing has to do with the embryonic state before I was born. The omnipotence of God having to do with my creation and the words that are familiar here, search me, know me, try me. These words having to do with uh, embroidery, Anybody here do needlework or embroidery? Let me see. I I saw one hand, two, three. You have a pretty good picture of what the Lord is talking about here. Intricate, delicate work that is just done one strand at a time into a beautiful, beautiful creation that you have made. God doing the same working While we were in our unformed state, God was creating us. He was knitting us. He was fashioning us. You had a pattern when you started. How many knitters do you have or embroiderers? You you didn't have a pattern. You just kind of started out doing something. Anybody? No. You know, well, there's purl one, drop two, skip three, and tie a knot. No, you're looking at a pattern and you're saying, oh, wait a minute, I've got to take this apart a little bit and start off. Anybody have done that? Why did you do that? You had the work done already. No, it didn't fit the pattern and you're making it according to a design. Oh, you're not a mistake this morning. The power of God put you together just the way he wanted you. You're unique. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Hallelujah. You are what God created you to be. By his omnipotence, he put you together. I love this part. My substance, verse 15, was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, curiously wrought, and that's the word for embroidery, in the lowest part of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being imperfect, and in thy book my members were written which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great the sum of them! If I could count them, they are more than the numbers of the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore. For they speak against thee wickedly. Thine enemies take thy name in vain. Verse 23. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God. Know my heart. In the presence of this God, in the presence of this God who knows everything, in this In the presence of this God who is everywhere in the presence of this God who can do it all search me Lord I I don't know my heart only you know my heart you search me Lord communion is a time of appointment he said let a man examine himself isn't that what it says